Empathy, to me, seems to be the number one key of leadership. People that um, I've worked for in the past, they, that I've really loved working for, has been empathy. And the times that I feel like I've been a, a good leader and you know led my team well, has been when I'm empathetic to how they're feeling. And I don't, I don't know if that was normal for my dad's generation or my grandfather's generation. <laughs> Probably not for my great grandfather. Um, but if I can put myself in the shoes of my contractors or my team members, ultimately we all want, especially millennials, uh, we all want to be led somewhere. Um, we all want to serve uh, a greater purpose than just fulfilling a job or a role. Um, and if you can be empathetic to that, I think you don't have to be perfect, but if you can at least try to understand what the other person's feeling, I've seen that to be really effective. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, today's guest and episode is with Evan Knox. Now, Evan is a millennial. I love having a diverse audience where we have individuals who are mature, more my age, and other millennials who are just really going into the marketplace to have fresh perspective. Now, Evan has traveled the world and now he has his own marketing company. But he shares his experience of working with other entrepreneurs, starting his own business. What do millennials or young people think and perspective and what are some of the dynamics? There were a couple of really interesting insights that I hadn't thought about before. So Evan will be sharing that uh, with you today. And so stay with us for that episode. Now, before we get there, this show is sponsored by Consulting Resource Group, which is our publishing company, where our focus is to help people with their self-awareness, self-management, and then, of course, self-mastery. I would encourage that if you haven't already done so, I mean, we, our focus is really to help others to realize their potential and that our tools, resources, assessments do that, but also our e-courses. So if you already haven't done so, is that you know our encouragement is to look at our values preference indicator Get clear about who you are. My, our ability to serve others is equal to or less than our own development. And if you are an independent consultant or trainer, then the consideration is maybe think about our three-day professional mastery uh, and a certifi- certification, professional mastery and assessment certification, that's PMAC uh, course. So think about the e-course. And you can do that virtually anywhere, anytime, anywhere in the world. And of course, that seems to be important now. And the other one is our three-day certification coming up uh, sometime soon. Whenever you're listening to it, we always have one every few months or less than that. So here we are with Evan Knox. If you like what we're doing, please pass it on, share it, let somebody else know about it, leave a positive comment on whatever platform you're listening to. Thank you for listening to the Secrets of Success podcast. So here's our episode with Evan Knox. Welcome to the Secrets of Success podcast. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keyes. Well, I always like to have young people on the show. Now, young people is anybody that's under 50, as far as I'm concerned, who are successful entrepreneurs, but also making a difference in the marketplace. So I want you to give a welcome to our guest today, Evan Knox. Evan, welcome to the show. 
Hey, Ken. Thanks so much for having me. And uh, yeah, I definitely qualify for the under 50 mark. <laughs> well, of course, I know it's a little bit less than that. You're probably closer to my son's age, but that's yeah. fine. I just love uh, energized entrepreneurs that are in the marketplace. Now, your expertise is around marketing and communications, yeah. and we'll get to that here in a bit. But I also want to get into your story, Evan, about sort of where you grew up, some of your history, and what got you into being an entrepreneur. So I always grew up thinking entrepreneurship in some form or fashion, really even before I understood what entrepreneurship was, uh, that that was what I was going to do. Um, and that mainly came from the fact that my dad had owned a business um, or, you know, had had one at the, at the time uh, and my grandfather did. And then his, his dad did. So as far up as I, I know, there's either business owners or entrepreneurs, especially on my dad's side. Now, Evan, I'm so, just, uh, I'll, I'll interrupt you just so I don't oh, yeah, lose from certain pieces here. What businesses were, were your family in? All right, so let's go with my, uh, it's funny because I was talking to my grandfather earlier today. So I was learning more about what my great-grandfather was doing. He had a couple different businesses, but his main one is he basically ran um, a uh, cigarette vending machine company. So he was wow. like... He had all these different vending machines that he owned, uh, and then obviously, you know, he would go in and have people come in and stock them or whatever. Um, and then my grandfather decided, he's actually telling me today, it's the first time I've heard this story. I'm really close to my grandfather, and uh, for those who have grandparents, you know how it is. It's just, you, sometimes you get stories a bunch of times, and sometimes you get ones you never heard of. So today was mm -hmm. one of those ones that I had never heard, and I was like, wow, it's amazing. Mm. Um, but he was telling me about how he got into the, he was, so he's in the jewelry industry. Um, so like selling diamond rings, engagement rings, uh, you know, miscellaneous other things. Uh, yeah, he had, cigar cigarette vending, diamond rings. Yeah. Same grandpa? Uh, no, no, no. So a great grandfather owned the cigarette vending machine company. Um, and then my actual grandfather, so like, you know, my great grandfather was the right. cigarette vending machine. And then my grandfather started this jewelry store in Atlanta. Um, yeah. So okay. my, uh, my grandfather actually, I, and I say that, um, and I was actually talking with a potential client uh, maybe last week or so, and we were talking about he's in the, he's a you know a fellow jeweler, he's got a several million dollar company here in the Atlanta area, uh, and he was talking about when he moved to Atlanta, everybody wanted to work with my grandfather. Like my grandfather was like the most esteemed, uh, most respected jeweler in the Atlanta, like all of Atlanta. Um, so that was really cool to hear that because my grandfather's a pretty humble guy and had never told me that, you know. Um, so that was, that was neat. So anyway, he owns a jewelry store, has several locations across Atlanta. Eventually, by the time I come around, he's downsized to one location. And then my dad uh, was in the same industry, but he was on the B to B side. So my grandfather was on the B to C side, so the direct consumer, like selling, you know, watches, whatever, um, you know, gauge of rings, like I was saying. But then my dad decides to be a diamond um, wholesale importer. So he would get diamonds in from Israel. Uh, like my wife's uh, my wife's engagement ring is actually um, the diamond is from like my dad actually went to Israel and picked that one out specifically. Uh, so just super cool stuff. Well, so that was dads will do for their sons, huh? Or actually, yeah, well, probably more the daughter-in-law. Yeah, it's a hundred percent. Totally. Um, so yeah, I always grew up entrepreneurship. Uh, I remember this is a funny story. I was telling my mom when I, here's a little bit more backstory, uh, backstory on this is that I was at the barn with my mom. We didn't own a barn. My mom had horses. And so we'd go to the barn and she had, you know, okay. had horses or whatever. Yeah. Housed. Yep. And, uh, I'm 12 years old and 
she's like, yeah, you know, come pick me up on the other side of the field with the, you know, she's riding her horse. She's like, come grab the truck and meet me over here. And I'm thinking, man, I'm 12 years old. I'm like, you know, flying high here. I'm king of the road. And so I end up trying to back the truck up in order to turn it around. And I back it into a tree at 12 years old. And I, you know, I come up to my mom and I'm like, mom, I'm so sorry. I said, but here's the deal. I was like, one day I'll be a successful entrepreneur and I'm going to buy you a brand new, like, Ford King Ranch because I know that's what you want. Um, and she was like, all right, I'm counting on it, whatever. And that was the end of that conversation. Like, cause it was like, that's always new. That's all, what I wanted to do. Um, so there's well, a lot of nostalgia. Yeah, <laughs> crazy. Cover up my mom. Hey, mom, just to make this not hurt so bad, I'll get you a new pickup sometime in the future. Yeah, some, there's not going to sign a contract right now when or how new it's going to be, but um yeah, I offered one day, and I was like, she's like, I like my Camry. And I was like, all right, so am I off the hook now? So, yeah, anyhow. Sure. The, the horses the are gone is what you're saying. Yeah, totally. Well, I mean, I think she has no desire to have a truck now. She likes um, her hybrid, which is totally different than the truck I grew up in. For uh, sure. Now, now for, your dad's doing this uh, this business of B2B. Uh, did he stay in that business or did he switch to something different later on? So he originally grew up going and working for my grandfather, um, and then saw this opportunity where, I mean, it's all markup, you know, there's markups at various stages of every, uh, supply chain to the consumer. But my dad just saw an opportunity and wanting to get better prices for my grandfather and other jewelers in the Atlanta area. Um, and so he just decided to create these relationships and sell direct, uh, to these, um, Jewelry, like different jewelry stores, but uh, he did that shoot until 20, 2013 or twenty fourteen, um, mm-hmm. and then kind of went as you know went and did some other projects of his. Uh, but my grandfather continued to have his business until twenty nineteen, and so he just handed it over to my uncle, which is kind of cool. Great, which is your bro- your dad's brother. Yes, that's correct. I was just doing a guess there. I had no idea that <laughs> it was related in that way. Now, what's your yeah. dad doing now? Is he retired or is he still out there uh, stirring it up as an entrepreneur? Yeah, well, uh, we're going to get a little deep here, but my dad passed away uh, about three and a half, four years ago, okay. um, right before I started Caffeine Marketing. And so kind of the reason why I started Caffeine Marketing, which mm. is my marketing agency, was because I couldn't help. Uh, you know, my dad and my grandfather was soon to retire. I couldn't help uh, my family grow their company. So I thought, you know what, next best thing is to help other small businesses and entrepreneurs to grow their companies. So that's my personal connection to all the small business owners out there. Well, my grandfather passed away before I even knew him when my dad was 16. So we we have family can relate to your situation uh, a little bit as well. So sorry to hear that. But at the same time, you've moved forward. And yep. with that, uh, what did you do, you know, after our university, like where did you start with this entrepreneurial uh, bent? Okay. So here's the best part. So when I was in high school, I had all these quote companies that I was starting and weren't actually companies. I was just, you know, it, you know, let's call it, call it a freelancer, you know, doing landscaping mm-hmm. or helping people move or whatever. And I would hire my friends and uh, to pay my friends. Obviously none of this was like, a formal LLC or anything like that. And my first exit catch this is I was 17 or I was 18 and I was about to graduate and I sold all of my clients, my landscaping clients to a sophomore in high school. So I sold them to an underclassman. So that was like my first exit for my, you know, my company or whatever. Um, 
And so I actually went from high school and then decided, you know what, like this is kind of crazy, but I wanted to go do Christian mission work. Um, I wanted to go serve uh, people around the world that, you know, I thought, you know what, at 18 is probably the best time to do this. I've got no mm-hmm. obligations to a family. Uh, at some point I would like that in the future. And so it makes sense to me to go off and um, I joined an organization called YWAM. It's called mm-hmm. or like W-Y-A-M. Um, youth with a mission, and I went out and did missions with these guys um, for several what part months. Of, what part of the world were you stationed in? Uh, over, like, during my whole missions experience, I went from Ecuador to Australia and Thailand, and I was in um, Australia for a couple months and then Thailand for a couple months, um, and eventually ended up going to Colorado to join a university program that was Catch this, not accredited by the United States University System. It was an international school. And so when I later went to get my degree after I had started my agency in 2013, no, 2015, 16, maybe, um, I actually went to school for marketing after I'd already started my agency. So because I'd already had marketing experience before that. And so I was able to, I had to like basically completely redo my entire degree because none of the, the courses that I took were accredited here in the U.S. Uh, don't you love that? Well, of course, that's academics, and they don't always uh, line up, and accreditation doesn't necessarily always mean something. I suspect that those other courses were valuable for you that you took, even though they weren't accredited. Yeah, totally. And I think, um, you know, I having the experience in marketing made my degree in marketing really easy. So I was able to get the whole degree done in five months. And that was largely due to the fact that like most of the stuff I already knew and my, you know, my capstone or whatever the last project's called was my own business plan. So I kind of got off the hook there. Oh, cool. Now let's just back up for a second. And, you know, not everybody's familiar with YWAM and we're not promoting it, but what sure. were some of the, I'll call it character traits that you learned serving and helping others during that time that the, would benefit the listeners? I think the first thing that I, you know, I really learned and it was kind of a, a an immediate red awakening to me was how uh, not self-aware I was. And when I got over there, I'm thinking I'm all that in a bag of chips and, <laughs> And was very humbled that, like, no one cared. I mean, it was like, you know, you have people from all across the the world that have come to be a part of this organization who are just absolutely incredible. And here I am, 18-year-old me, who is kind of a, you know, not a hotshot in this community, but, like, yeah, I don't know, this is like a big fish or a regular fish in a small pond. And so I go there, and everybody else is just, like, these incredible people. And I just very quickly was like, oh, the world's like, you know, Everybody else kind of doing their thing. It's not about me. Mm. Um, and then, so what do you think you weren't uh, self-aware about? A lot of stuff. I mean, everything from body language, uh, you know, to like, you know, obviously how I'm coming across. Um, growing up in the South, we hug a lot. And so when I went overseas, it was like, oh, you guys don't do that. That's like not a thing that everybody does. Not everybody like gives each other hugs um, all the time. Um, mm. That's kind of funny. Uh, and then obviously just like, you know, just saying things and then later being like, what were you saying? You know, I think my own insecurity or, you know, pride, I thought I was concealing it well and then come to find out not not so much. <laughs> yeah, I think um, people sort of figure this out a little bit quicker. Yeah, you did find out that in uh, certain Asian cultures, hugging isn't quite as predominant. Yeah, definitely not. But, the you know, that's all fine and well and I think relates to the business you know, 
world. But ultimately, the thing I think that really changed my heart and my perspective was going over there and especially into Thailand and experiencing like real poverty, like not necessarily for myself, but like being among uh, just extremely, um, mm. you know, unfortunate cases, you know, like extreme poverty can just like rock your world. And I had, I had a lot of reverse culture shock coming back, but uh, not to get too graphic, but like when you see somebody, like when you see lines of people as far as you can see down the streets uh, who are all suffering some sort of kind of like physical ailment and are starving to death. Uh, and they're, mm -hmm. you know, one guy I passed by his, his skin, like literally his skin had rotted off and you could see his insides. It was the craziest thing I ever seen in my life. I thought the guy was not alive. Um, it was, it was tough, you know, and um, Evan, you that can was only pretty graphic. That was pretty graphic. Evan. Yeah. You said you weren't getting I graphic. I could go. I could go more than that. There's actually more to that one. So that's mm -hmm. like the PG-13 version of that, um, right. surprisingly. And so well, with well, with that, you know, I mean, here's the other yeah. one. And by the way, I think you've cut yourself a little bit of slack, Evan. Uh, all of us that have been 18 at some time or another, there's a thing called maturity in life that comes to bear. So totally. with that. What do you think were the character traits that started to emerge or develop for you as a result of that, that really the listeners can benefit from just as we share your story with them? I think gratefulness um, is the first thing, like going in there and just being aware. And not a generic, you know, oh, I'm so fortunate, you know, I live in a first world country, whatever, but just uh, thankful for each day and, and the opportunities. Um, and mm -hmm. I, I also think... I very quickly had to have grace for myself. And I, I wish a lot of entrepreneurs and business owners would have that same grace. Uh, we all make mistakes. And I, you know, was coming to terms with how ridiculous I was um, at, at 18, which we probably all are. Mm. And just starting to bring that into picture, I'm thinking, you know what? Like, man, I, I've got to be able to forgive myself and also move on. I can't be completely rocked by people's opinions of me. I've got to be able to take them, chew on it, and then move on with my life because... Mm. You know, at my age now, I still say stuff like that. Last year, I'm like, what were you saying? But I know that next year, I'm going to look back at 25-year-old Evan and go, man, you're, what were you saying, man? Like, you just, you know. But you have to, you have to give yourself grace. Um, mm -hmm. And ultimately, the perspective that I appreciate about 18-year-old Evan in that moment is that he was looking out for like 100 years from now. Like, I, I still, that's something that's so core to me, and I think that that just grew in my heart, was that, you know, business, entrepreneurship, as much as I love it and so thankful that I get to play in that playground is that it doesn't really matter a hundred years from now because truth be told, I'm not going to be here. And I think that uh, there's a legacy that matters. I think that how you treat people matters and my faith really matters to me. And so those things combined really, I think, mm -hmm. fueled my desire to go overseas and do what I could, you know. Good. Well, thanks, Evan, for going and um, maturing up. Uh, I, yeah. I, I say that with a smile on my face. The other side, of course, is the word about, you know, let's cut ourselves some slack. Uh, those of us, those people that are listening, a lot of times we can be the hardest on ourselves and that's really not going to be productive. Yeah, own up to it. If I screwed up, messed up, so what? Uh, say that's what I did and move on from there because there's nobody, that, at least that I've met, that's perfect yet, unless that's you, Evan. No, definitely not me. <laughs> of course, I'm messing with you. So now you go to school. Thank you for that. You, you yeah. go to school, then, of course, you go back and get your degree. Are you doing your agency at the same time? Yeah, so that was pretty crazy. Um, I actually, so I had 
probably had caffeine for about a year and I decided I brought my wife on um, and we decided oh, hang on, that hang was on. Not now when when did that happen where did where did you get married in the mix of this Thanks, Ken. You're pulling all these uh, these little nuances out that I take for granted sometimes. So when I went to Colorado, I lived in Colorado for three years, and I worked at a church there. Also had a sales job somewhere else at one point, uh, and I ended up meeting my wife at basically the college ministry at our church, and we uh, got married. And then literally, we our cars were packed when we got married. We said bye to all our friends, and I'm not necessarily suggesting this for anybody. It's just what we mm -hmm. did. Um, you know, golly, thank you guys for coming. It's been awesome being your friends for three years because um, we had both moved there around the same time. And we left and went and worked at a nonprofit in Charlotte. And so that was tough. You know, we completely left our community and um, everything. Now, where did, you, Evan, where did you meet your wife? So we were at this, this is awesome church. So if you're in Colorado, I'm not, even if you're not a big church person, this place is just cool. I mean, and I mean that, uh, it's about 30,000 people attend this church. It's called Flatirons church. Mm -hmm. It's in the Boulder area near Denver. And, uh, we met one day, actually she had dated a friend of mine. Um, and they dated for like a month. And then about a year later, uh, I was like, Hey man, um, what are the chances you would be okay with me asking out, uh, missing on a date and he was like, Oh dude, that'd be great. You guys would be awesome. Um, and he just thought it was the weirdest thing that she was vegan and this couldn't, couldn't shake that. So uh, it, was, it was his loss, my win on that one. Oh, there we go. There we go. Hey, and then, uh, your grocery bill is a little bit less with no meat. Yeah, so. totally. And then what's funnier is that, you know, she actually starts eating, you know, fish and then meat and all that stuff later on when we get married. And then all of a sudden, I'm pretty much on a vegan diet just for fun. And so it's the tables have flipped and it's really funny. Okay, fun, fun. So uh, you're in uh, North or South, North Carolina. Uh, yep. Then where did you go after that? So I think this part's key. So I originally was um, there working for this nonprofit. Again, like just, you know, making the difference that I, I felt like I could there. Um, and that's where I actually got my intro back into marketing. And so I had kind of done some marketing with my grandfather, which, you know, very, probably not a whole lot of marketing and only learned a little bit, but that was my first taste of marketing. And then when I went to work at this nonprofit, uh, part of my role became marketing and then that became the favorite part of my role. And I just, I ate it up. I love the strategy behind it, um, the math, and it's just really ultimately a math formula. I think people who are, uh, math, um, not necessarily math wizards, but those who like math uh, often make really good CMOs because they're all mostly numbers decisions at that point. So that's where I went from there. And then um, my uh, my wife and I decided, you know what, you know, North Carolina's not for us. Why don't we move down to Atlanta? Give that a shot. And so we moved down here, and uh, that's when I started uh, caffeine marketing. And you're around a lot of your family members there as well, then. Yep. So there you go. So if we and so thank you for that. So if we think about um, you know, communications, marketing, influence. And as we talked, Evan, just before getting on the show, we don't usually have a lot of marketing experts on the show, but I really mm -hmm. want to sh support the listeners with what are you learning or what are you seeing in the marketplace as far as communications and what's working and what's not uh, out there right now? I think the most important thing to understand, and I find this with all, you know, business leaders or business owners, you know, 
doesn't really matter. I think if you understand the marketing principles, the actual tools themselves, they come and go, but the principles never change. And so if you're able to realize that there are three phases of marketing, and I'm just going to oversimplify here, there's brand awareness, which is basically the point in the marketing funnel where people become aware of you. And then there's consideration, which basically means that they're considering working with you, but maybe they're not ready. And then last, lastly is the conversion uh, part of the marketing funnel. And I just see marketing happen happens all over the place. So even with Missy and I, when we were uh, possibly getting married, you know, or, or dating and gotten, you know, eventually got married, that was a marketing thing because I would have never been able to, you know, ask Missy out on a date if I didn't know who she was. And so I had to be aware, I had to have that brand awareness of who Missy was. And then ultimately there were things that in the dating cycle that I was considering marrying her, but wasn't quite ready to make that commitment. And then finally it was like, all right, this is it. She's the one, let's make the commitment. And so I see marketing happening all the time across various aspects of life. Uh, but I think it's really important to understand brand awareness, consideration, and then conversion and keep it super simple because what works right now might not work a year from now. But I, what I see working right now really well in the um, consideration phase of the marketing funnel, so that's the middle of it there, as we're trying to move potential customers and clients down to conversion, is retargeting campaigns on pretty much any social media platform. But I really like uh, Facebook and their audience network and Instagram. So Facebook owns Instagram and a couple other um, properties. But that's my favorite. That's the easiest way to basically flip a switch on a business if they've already got some sort of brand awareness, to flip that switch and then really dramatically increase their bottom line in a, a really positive way. Um, another thing to try is the top of the funnel. So that's brand awareness and just basically making people aware of your brand. Like I said, Facebook is great with all their audience networks, um, but I also like uh, YouTube advertising. Um, so if you're able to create a really compelling YouTube video, those are really inexpensive right now because no one actually wants to do the, do the hard work of making them. So that's a great one, but I typically find stuff that um, is overpriced. I wouldn't suggest like LinkedIn for most people or Google ads. Uh, there are always, you know, well, Google ads is a catch all term because YouTube is also included in Google ads, but like Google search ads uh, for keywords that can sometimes be overpriced and so can LinkedIn for different reasons. Um, but if you have the right product, those can work, but I wouldn't say start there. I would say if you want to start somewhere, probably start with Facebook advertising. Mm. Now I just want to digress for a minute and get into some more general terms. Yeah. What have you discovered as far as, you know, you've, we, we have a form that you fill out and you were talking about some qualities of leadership that you've discovered out there. What, what have you, mm -hmm. at your age, what are you seeing in terms of, you know, lessons learned, but also, you know, the, qual the qualities of uh, great leaders that you're experiencing as a millennial that you like and that you appreciate that seem to be working? Empathy to me seems to be the number one key of leadership that at least I've experienced. So the people that um, I've worked for in the past that, that I've really loved working for has been empathy. And the times that I feel like I've been a, a good leader and, you know, led my team well has been when I'm empathetic to how they're feeling. And I don't, I don't know if that was normal for my dad's generation or my grandfather's generation, <laughs> probably not for my great grandfather. Um, but, if I can put myself in the shoes of my contractors or my team members, um, a great example of this is that uh, my, one of my team members and then a contractor and I were thinking about going to lunch. And this is not anything really crazy, but 
um, instead of saying, hey, uh, so-and-so, would you want to come to lunch uh, with me and you know, the person on my team? I, and for a, for a split second, I thought to myself, I bet she's wondering if, those, if that's going to be paid. Like not only paid lunch, but like if she's going to be paid for those hours because she's hourly. And instead of going, I'll just let her figure that out or I'll make her ask. I was like, hey, by the way, if you're wondering, um, you know, the time will be paid that you spent with us. And so I, I really think that stuff like that goes a long way if we're able to put ourselves in the other person's shoes because ultimately we all want, especially millennials, uh, we all want to be led somewhere. Um, we all want to serve uh, a greater purpose than just fulfilling a job or a role. Um, and if you can be empathetic to that, I think you don't have to be perfect, but if you can at least try to understand what the other person's feeling, I've seen that to be really effective. Mm. So clarity is important. I think, of course, that applies to uh, just about anything uh, or any uh, generation. Now, I, I really don't like, I ha I'm a father of two millennials, so I, I have permission. Uh, yeah, I'm great, ready. Let's great, go. great kids, uh, successful like you are. Uh, is there any, so I don't like generalizing. However, that being said, yeah. are there some strategies or leadership styles that really do put off the younger generation, or maybe that generalization doesn't apply in your experience? Yeah, I think, I, again, I, I don't want to speak for the whole generation here, but um, from my experience and the millennials that I've led, and then also, you know, having been one and worked for other people, I think we've just got more options than we ever have. Uh, I don't know that there's necessarily you know, we're just looking for great people to work with. I mean, there's the kind of what I mentioned about serving the purpose before, but I think that we just demand a higher quality of leader. And the reason is because at any time we can pick up a freelance job or we can, there's this entire gig economy where I can work, you know, from anywhere. Um, and we've got, well, we've had a very low, uh, low, you know, employment rate or unemployment rate. So up to this point, it's been, you know, if I don't want to work here, I can just get a job somewhere else. And so, I feel like we've just are more likely to move. And then the other thing is like a lot of millennials that I talk to that, you know, are in the hiring process, like we're you know, considering hiring them or are working with them or whatever. They feel a lot of anxiety um, about commitment. And that, mm. that kind of sometimes is frustrating because I, I don't feel like I necessarily connect with that, but I see it a lot. Um, well, maybe, it, um, you know, even though you don't connect with it personally, maybe explain that for the audience a bit about where they, Where's this anxiety about commitment come from based on what you know about it? Yeah. Let me give you an example of what it might look like. Um, and then I'll maybe my guess on where it comes from. Um, so the, one of the people that I was talking to is, is kind of like a mentee in a way, but also somebody that we, we've used for graphic design for a long time, but we can't continue to use her on a regular basis because she needs to have her own LLC. She needs to be her own company. She can't continue to just be like a uh, sole proprietor in this scenario. And so I'm, you know, we're talking through what does it look like to make an LLC, et cetera. Um, she's like, I'm just like, just so nervous to like start one. Like what if I, and she had like a dozen questions, like what if I, uh, decide what do I have to close it down if I don't do it anymore? Like, well, how much does it cost? What if I change my name? And there's so many questions. It was like an overwhelming anxiety for her to commit to create an LLC, which to me was like, hey, let's just go to inkfile.com and fill it out, call it good to go. Um, but more and more, I'm seeing things like, hey, I, I had to reassure her. I'm like, hey, it's okay. Like, you're not committing to this for the rest of your life. You know, no one's going to think badly of you if you close this business. 
also, no one will ever know if you like dissolved your company. I'm like, it's just so many things that uh, I think that there's a, a fear of missing out. Um, or if, I, I think ultimately that's a, probably the biggest driver is the fear of missing out because what if something better comes along and, you know, she's not able to do that or whatever. So my guess is social media um, probably has a big factor to play. Uh, I also would venture to say that there's probably something to uh, the generation above me pressuring my whole generation to go to college. I'm not sh quite sure what that is. Um, I recently heard a statistic that the unemployment rate is higher for those who have a bachelor's degree versus those who do not, um, mm -hmm. which I thought was interesting. So I don't know. I think we just, the whole generation has been pressured to go through this entire funnel to fulfill. Um, what it's they, interesting. I, you know, my um, wife works at a university and of yeah. course her whole expectation for our two kids is that you need to get a degree. Well, I never really thought that way, even though I have a mm -hmm. doctorate degree, Evan. Uh, now here's the stats and you can share this with you, another podcast that you're on. Uh, okay. 60 to 65% of parents want their kids to go to university. Wow. Only 2% of parents want their kids to go to trade school. So totally trade school could include graphic arts, could include mechanical engineering, could include, you know, being a plumber, electrician, carpenter, and guess where a lot of the jobs are right now, you know, in that space. Yeah. So yeah. it's almost like that generation, my generation, I, I'm not one of them because I wrote a book on purpose. So I have to kind of walk the talk is, yeah where, oh, you know, uh, you need to get like this bachelor's degree because that's the end all be all. Uh, yes, you do, de you do develop discipline, interest, social sort of connections, but so what uh, after a hundred grand or 200 grand later, right? So, <laughs> so rather than just permission, hey, if you don't want to go to the school there and you want to be an electrician, go for it. Uh, or is it yourself? You want to be an entrepreneur right out of the gate. It, I would encourage people to think of it as a, um, an investment. I mean, I, can, I, I don't know what your portfolio looks like, but I have to imagine you, you own something, either an index fund or a stock, but, and I'm sure a lot of the listeners own something as far as investments go. And if you look at this as an investment, either you know, like a stock investment, or if you look at this as like a business venture, there's a very, most times, there's a pretty low return on investment depending on what degree that you get in, you know, and that was ultimately the lens that I was looking at it. And so when my wife and I, we got married, she had close to a hundred thousand dollars in, in student loan debt. And then you add in the car debt and we're right at a hundred thousand dollars. And so we paid that off after three years, but I mean, it was like, good for you. I don't know. What, is she, what does your wife do by the way? Um, she is the office manager at a church um, in Atlanta. So, she does not use her, and she would say this, she does not use her film degree from Michigan State. Um, oh, it's pretty close. But, so I yeah, guess. I mean, maybe, maybe, I don't know. We were joking about it. She made a, a TikTok video, and I was like, this is not a jab at all. I mean, we're, we're a good place about the whole finances thing. But, like, I was like, look, you finally used that degree from Michigan. You know, like, she made a video for her social media. And I was like, no, check it out. You use your degree. Um Anyway, I thought that was funny. I think she heard too. But now, um, Evan, yeah. oddly enough, we only have a few minutes left, if you can believe yeah. it already. And uh, now, before we get into the last segment, uh, where can people find out more about what you're doing and your marketing and your profile? Yeah. 
Uh, the easiest way to connect with me is going to be my website, so evanknox.com, just E-V-A-N-K-N-O-X.com. And then if there are business owners out there or entrepreneurs who might want to work with my company, um, it's just caffeine.marketing, no.com, just caffeine.marketing. Where did you get the caffeine from? I'm looking at a mug right now um, that I originally had the epiphany moment. Uh, and it basically was just, you know, I just want to connect with other entrepreneurs and business owners. It's always been a, uh, a passion to help them. And I, being one myself, I've got, you know, you know, equity or whatever in a couple other companies. And I get it. You know, we're always hustling. We're always trying to work hard. And caffeine is often the thing that fuels a lot of us. And so I figured, hey, why not? Caffeine marketing. I got it. I get it. And after I finished my fourth cup today, I can <laughs> So, totally. Evan, one of the things, I, w I just want to uh, flip the coin a bit. Okay. Well, I'd like you to talk to individuals in the audience if they're considering, you know, being a business owner or an entrepreneur. Mm -hmm. What have you learned in your journey that you would want to share with the people listening? The first thing that comes to mind is, uh, based off the conversation I have with my grandfather this morning, actually, would be start it as a side thing, if you can. Uh, he built this incredibly successful company uh, and it originally started on the side and I love that because that's kind of part of my story too. I mean, I was working a sales job and then very quickly transitioned out of that. But uh, I think if you can, I've seen a lot of really successful entrepreneurs and business owners get their start by doing it as a side gig while they do something else. Because what that does is it basically, they have to give their sweat equity into it, but they don't have this huge overhead or this looming bills that they have to pay. Um, that can all be covered. You can make more intelligent business, decision, business decisions because you are not worried about money. And also when you're fearful, uh, your frontal lobe is compromised by cortisol and you're not going to be able to think clearly. So I would say start on the side if you can. Try, again, in that same vein, if you can, try not to go into debt. Um, I know a couple people that are building really like, you know, they're building SaaS products which require thousands and thousands of dollars to build. And so they're basically uh, using other people's capital to do that. That's totally an option. But for most people, you do not have to um, actually, you know, take money out of your own pocket to start. And if so, you don't have to do a lot. I mean, I, I probably spent a couple hundred dollars in legal fees to get my company started. And then from there, I was already having people pay for uh, the other stuff that I needed. So I think that would be super wise. Um, and then... Another thing that I think feels, I guess my third thing would be that a lot of people feel scared by partnerships. I've witnessed some of them go down very, very poorly, um, which has been super unfortunate. But by and large, the partnerships that I've been a part of have been nothing but a blessing. I mean, they've, uh, there's, as long as you have great communication, if, er, if everybody has expectations and they're clear expectations from the get-go and there's just ongoing great communication, I would really encourage uh, looking for a partner and looking for somebody who can complement your strengths with, you know, their strengths that are different. Like there's a guy in Florida who we've gone back and forth with working, you know, possibly uh, merging or acquisition or something like that, or just bringing him on. And ultimately we decided not to because we both have very, very similar strengths. And so I'm like, I don't know what the value add is here for either of us. If we're both, you know, we both enjoy the strategy, but none of us want to do the details, you know? So, um, I would just say if you uh, try to find a partner if you can and find somebody that could compliment you in that way. Excellent. Now, Evan, do you have any sort of advisor or mentors that are around you? Man, uh, I did when I first started, but um, 
not often. I mean, the, the people that I, I look up to, um, they are often just crazy busy, and I might have a meeting with them once a quarter or every other quarter. But I, there's so much to learn. I'm looking at my bookshelves right now. There's so much to learn from these books um, or these podcasts. It's like your podcast, Ken, I'm sure uh, you're a mentor to countless people here. And I, I think that's a great start. But I don't have necessarily a mentor specifically. Uh, my grandfather is definitely my first mentor, and then my dad for sales. I think he actually still is because you shared one of the things that came out of your conversation today. So, yeah, totally. so, so there you go. Sometimes it's just subtle and uh, I love it when you have those kinds of relationships and now that granddad is there uh, helping um, sort of in the steps that your dad was there, that, uh, that's great that you have that option. Not everybody does and mm -hmm. that's awesome. I'm sure that he has taken up that role and just loves his grandson immensely. He does, and he's crazy about his great-grandson, too. I'll tell you that. Uh, well, that's even makes it, um, yeah, more connected for sure. Now, Evan, we're already, you know, wrapping up and getting close to the end. What final thought, word of wisdom, or insight would you like to share with our listeners today? I think I just would love to reiterate the one thing that I said earlier. Um, I would encourage everybody out there just to you know, depending on, if, depending on when we're still dealing with this or when this releases, um, I've just encouraged everybody to have a, a perspective of 100 years from now and that whenever you're feeling stressed out or overwhelmed or nervous, um, that, you know, how, what, how, does this really matter 100 years from now? And ask yourself that question. And if you're a leader of people out there, um, I would ask them, what's it like to be on the other side of me? A friend of mine asked me that question one time, uh, and I love it because it will help you develop empathy for the people around you. Mm, mm, well, thank you. So, Evan, thank you very much for hanging out with us today. Yeah, thanks for having me, Ken. Okay, stay on the line. So, folks, you've been li listening to Evan Knox, and if you want to find out more about Evan, go to LinkedIn, and he's there, or uh, go to evanknox.com, or find out about his marketing company, caffeine.marketing. So when we think about life, life really is about making a difference, about growing, maturing, as Evan talked about, self-awareness and consciousness. So, you know, take some of the insights that we shared today or Evan shared today and then apply that in your life or share it with others. Thank you as always for giving us your most valuable commodity, your time. So if you like what we're doing, Please share, pass it on, leave a positive comment or remark on whatever platform you're listening on. I'm your host, Dr. Ken Keith. Thanks for exploring the secrets of success with us. If you want to keep the momentum going, log on to crgleader.com. Scroll to the bottom and sign up for our inspirational emails. You can also take your success to the next level by following us on Facebook and Twitter and connecting with Ken on LinkedIn. We hope you have a great week and look forward to you joining us next time for the Secrets of Success podcast with Dr. Ken Keyes.